Hi, this is the Zane Lowe Interviews on Apple Podcasts, and I'm Zane Lowe. Zane Lowe, Apple Music. The first time I ever met Eminem, I interviewed him around his single My Name Is. We didn't have an album to go on yet, aside from Infinite, but there was no Marshall Mathers LP. Just one song that was starting to really pick up and everyone was taking notice. So he came out to the UK and I did a quick conversation with him, but there wasn't a huge amount of history to dive into at that time. So we really just spoke about his influences and, and about music. And it was a really great conversation. And from there, of course, Eminem's journey just took off. And I've been lucky enough to speak with him many times throughout that journey at really interesting moments, you know, at the peak of success, at a time when that success was crazy. And then, of course, as he came out the other side and into his recovery period. And what really unites all of those conversations is that each one was me trying to find a way to get Eminem to open up about himself and about his life and his process. And that's not easy because Eminem is a private human being and has said to me on multiple occasions, everything I say is on the record. It's all there in the music. So that's been the dance for the last 20 odd years. And the last time I spoke to him was 2015, right at the launch of Beats One on Apple Music. And we haven't spoken since until now. Now I give you that potted history because what's interesting is that this conversation almost takes us back to day one. At the time that we had it, there was nothing to promote. There really was no reason to dive into Eminem's life or his recording process or new music or any of that. It was an At Home With Apple Music, which is a series we started in 2020, a chance for artists to pick their favorite music and you know the conversation floats throughout that. Really interesting stories come out of that whole process and it's been a really rewarding part of the year for us. Teed it up perfectly for myself and Eminem to sit down and talk about his tape collection. Now I'm not gonna elaborate much here because it's all laid out in front of you. This is probably my favorite conversation I've ever had with Eminem, ever. 20 years and change, after we first spoke about our mutual love of music, we find ourselves right there again in this conversation right here on the interview series. This is myself and Eminem, seriously nerding out. Dude. Look at those beautiful bricks behind you. Look at the foundation of music that's stacked up behind you. Look at those cassettes. I'm so jealous. You you, you with that? Are you kidding? I've been online trying to find cassettes. You know how hard it is even to find? Well, yes, you do because you have a collection. Yeah. It's really challenging to find cassettes now. And it's something that about six six to nine months ago, I just was like, I don't know. I really want that sound, that feeling. How long have you been collecting? Well, I just started again. It took me about three years to get what I got right now because some tapes are just harder to, harder to find than others, yeah. you know, depending upon how many. I never even thought this as a kid, but like when you think about like a, a release, especially back in the day, it would like you don't really know how many units they pressed up even. So like a sweet tea that can tape. Yeah, I still can't find it. Yeah. I still can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find it new because what I do is I take, I collect the unopened one. Mm -hmm. And then if they have another one that's either open or like I open, if I get two unopened ones, I open the one and I keep the other one. Keep the other one. You know? So you're a real collector. This isn't even just about the aesthetic appeal of listening to things on tape or having the collection. You're a collector. You're preserving these things. Absolutely. Because when I was a kid, I didn't have money to buy every tape I ever wanted. You know what I'm saying? So usually what, what we had to do was go to this, this place called record time. And I would take the tape that came out a couple of weeks ago, trade it in for the new tape. 
you know, whatever else was, was out. Would you dub? I mean, whatever, like back then it was like piracy is killing music. Everyone was, everyone was dubbing everything. Would you dub what you had onto a blank cassette, which would cheaper and then go and trade it? Absolutely. Me, too. Me and my friends would take, we would, we would take turns buying the tape and be like, it's your turn <laughs> to buy this tape and I get to dub it. And then it'll be my turn to buy the next tape. Let me go and get 50, 60 minute TDKs. Let me go and get 50, 60 minute TDKs. And then you give me your collection. I'll give yeah. you my collection. And then let's just like destroy the record industry one dub at a time. <laughs> no idea what we were doing. Yeah. But it also was like, you would dub some shit and it'd be like, <laughs> the air would be like, <laughs> and you'd hear the air more than the tape. You'd have to turn it all the way up. And then the, all you hear is the bass from it. And shit. Yeah. That sucks. But I said to myself, go I said to myself, if I ever make it one day as a rapper, I'm going to get every tape that I always wanted. I love that. And there's something nostalgic about being able to hold the tape. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like when, when you used to look at the, it's, it's almost like when you used to stare at the cereal box when you was a kid, like while you're eating breakfast and sh- staring at the, bu- the cereal box, <laughs> yeah. it's like you stare at the, you stare at the, I don't, I don't know what they're called, J card or whatever they're called. Yeah. Open it. And, 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 Honestly, me and my friends back in the day thought that if like Big Daddy Kane would have a fold out. Yeah, he it would go. Some of them would go on. He's made money. He's successful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, that was that was our gauge to like. Yeah, you get these ones that you would open it up and it would just be the single side. It wouldn't have, it would be nothing to unfold. Yeah. It would just be the yep. tiny short nothing side. On the other, nothing yep. on the other side. Yeah, I used to get pissed when that would happen too. Because yeah. if you got a writ like like. I'm trying to think of who like PE public enemy had, uh, usually had their lyrics inside the thing. So yeah. you fold it out, fold it out, Yeah, man. De La Soul. Yeah. De La Soul had the crazy rollout. It was like a fucking cartoon and the whole shit was like, just roll out to here and shit. And I was like, yeah, they made it. See, same with people's instinctive travels. I remember going and getting that from Real Groovy Records and bringing that back on cassette and just being like, had never heard of them before, just took a shot, blind, deaf, had no idea who they were, just looked ill, bought it home and was like, what is this with the pictures and the artwork? And sometimes I think that that was more of an exciting thing to unfold than a gatefold sleeve or a vinyl sometimes because it had this, you had to be really creative with the space. Yeah, also like a record is not going to give you the, you know, the feel of having the tape and it, it's not going to give you the information. It's not going to give you all the, you know what I'm saying? So mm. for me, I always collected tapes. I know a lot of my friends collected like vinyl and shit back in the day, but me, I've been, I'm a, I'm a tape person. How many do you have, do you think, estimate? This holds 600. And then I got another one across my room over here that holds about 300. But if you look at some of these, some of these I got doubles of like, okay, Raheem, yep. the vigilante. I don't know if you remember him. Yeah, of course. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Bro, this tape was so hard to fucking find. And I also consider it like a like a classic. It's like a classic album to me. So I if I if I'm online and I see like three of them, I'm gonna get three of them. I'm gonna get all three just to have, you know what I'm saying? Because we don't really know how many more are left in this world. Who the f <laughs> bought a tape back in the day and never opened it? Yeah. Who would who would have done that? But somebody did. Somebody with the same mentality as you that loves it as a um, aesthetic experience, a tactile experience, not just the distribution of music, but actually to hold it in your hand. That's who doesn't open that stuff. People who just love the actual yeah. product. You know what I mean? Yeah, but 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 not me. 
I had a tape when I was a kid. If, if I had to spend my fucking six dollars on it, I'm opening that bitch. What was the what was the tape? What what's what's the one that springs to mind when you were at that point in your life when you didn't have two pennies to rub together and you got that tape? What was the one that you were like, this is the one I've I have i have been waiting for. This is the most exciting thing I've pressed play on ever. I mean, I can't even gauge that. I I, I can't even gauge that because let me see. It was like, okay, backing up to what I remember, like my earliest memories of of hip hop would be for sure Ice-T, Reckless. And then I saw the movie Breaking. My Uncle Ronnie actually brought the tape over, the Breaking tape. And I didn't even, I don't even think I knew at the time, I was like 10 or 11. And I don't even think I knew at the time that there was even a movie called Breaking. So he put me up on a lot of shit. And that was one of the first rap songs I remember hearing and then I went and watched the movie and then I just, I was all in, you know what I'm saying? Like that was, yeah, man. But there's too many to even, see. you know, you know, hip hop in its infancy stages was the most exciting thing I had ever seen as a kid. Me too. So like Big Daddy Kane would come out with something and you're bumping that. And then Biz Marquis would come out with something. You're bumping that like, like. And you would connect the dots. Like what you would see on the artwork was your entire roadmap. Because we didn't have any of the things. It's too obvious to even point out the list of things that now everyone can dive into and find out what they need to find out. But back then, each cassette, each thing you bought would lead to the next thing. So, all right, cold chilling. Oh, I see that logo on this. Let me try this one out. Not as good as the last thing, but the next thing's even better than the one I just heard before. The, you know what I mean? And that's how you did it. Like yeah. those little breadcrumbs were everything because – we grew up at a time when, and it's, I don't know how it was for you when you were in Detroit or wherever you were at that moment in your life, but in New Zealand, there was like three things in a record store at any given time. You'd buy them all if you could. <laughs> and then there'd be yeah. one more thing and two more things. It wasn't like they all just landed, like hip hop landed on planet earth. Yeah. And then, and then a lot of times you're, you know, you're taking a gamble. You might buy a whack tape. Yeah. You might buy some shit that you're like, what the f is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But for me, it was like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the, the chronological order, but you know, Run DMC, LL. Mm. Uh, this is my friend LL over here. Some some of you know oh. him as LL Cool J. I, oh, I know yeah. him as Todd. What is the sign? What did he yeah. sign? What did he say on the on the my poster? My friend Todd. What did he say on the poster? It said, two marshals salute. You can do anything you put your mind to." Wow. That's that's LL Cool J quoting one of my lyrics. Wow. To me, that <laughs> shit is fucking crazy. And you know, I was thinking about. I was listening in the gym yesterday to to um. Tougher than leather. Mm. The way that Run DMC, man, the way their voices mesh, I don't, I, I you'll never hear that again. Uh, I, wait, I'll give you another one. Beastie Boys. Yeah. Beastie Boys was like the right, the, the white Run DMC. Yeah. Their, their voices, all of their voices mesh together so well. Like, I don't, but Run DMC, bro, the way they would interchange and just go, like, say one line, like, I've never heard a group. And then Jam Master J would come in. And somehow, even with the energy of DMC and Run, the DJ comes in and his scratches are as powerful and as exciting as they are on the mic. No one's ever scratched with that level of intensity. And it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, man. I remember I was, I was, I, I'll never forget where I was when I saw the King of Rock video. I was at my Aunt Edna's house and I was, I sleep in the living room sometimes with the TV on. Mm. I remember I was about to go to sleep and I don't even know what channel I was watching. And that came on when they were walking up to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and shit. I'm like, what, 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 oh shit. 
that's Run DMC. I had never seen a video. I knew who Run DMC was, but I had never seen an actual video from them. I was probably, I don't know, 11 or 12, maybe. Yeah. I can't, somewhere around there. Yeah. But yeah, man. And it was just so like, come on, man. Who, who the f- was cooler than Run DMC? Nobody. I remember Who seeing. I remember Nobody. seeing footage of them on a, on an after after school like special after school show. It would do news for kids, and it was mainly about like nature and stuff like that, whatever. And then there's just this new trend sweeping America, and they had footage of Run DMC and Jam Master J was like six feet in the air with two red sirens going, while they were just stalking the stage with this crazy energy. And they just dressed all in black with these Adidas on. And I was like, I'm on Mars right now. And that was it for me. That was the defining moment for me in the genre and the art form and then the culture. Like I was just all in. Even in Auckland, I was just like, I didn't even, oh, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. I had I had many of those moments. Like hip hop, uh, I feel like, you know, in its infancy stages, as 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 much as it's evolved and it's went through all these transitions and shit, I feel like a lot of these kids won't understand the experience of, of hip hop in its infancy stages and everyone, you know, the younger kids are going to, everyone's going to think their era is the best era, Hmm. but this really was to me, the golden era of hip hop was the best era to me because just because it was so new, you'd never heard it before. I know that I saw and heard a lot of people say that it wasn't going to be anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't going to last or whatever. You know, here we are, what, 40, 50 years later? It's crazy, and it's the biggest music, if I'm not mistaken. It it's is. the biggest genre. It is, and it's the most yeah. influential, and it tells the most amount of truth, and it speaks to the, to, to, the, to the community. And that's the other thing. I had no idea. I didn't know what role I was supposed to play in this, even as a fan. I was like, how do I relate to this? This seems to be coming from New York. It's speaking very specifically to the community and the culture in New York at the time because it hadn't really branched out beyond that. And I just, I, I wasn't, and still will never be close enough to truly understand what it means to the community. But the music and the, and the energy of it and the, the fact that it was telling me stuff I could have never, ever have, have learned about through entertainment, but it always felt like I was learning shit. Do you know what I mean? I never just felt like yeah. it was disposable. It felt so, so significant. From the minute I heard it, it felt significant. Well, especially like if you look at Public Enemy and KRS-One, like that video, my philosophy video <sighs> from KRS-One, when he was, man, the the black and white VDP jacket and the fucking Nikes, the Nikes he had, the black and white, man, come on. I wanted those so bad. But the the dopest part was like he stood in front of that car and just leaned up against it and started spitting his rap a cappella. That shit was so dope to me. But it was like, but every every uh, every album that came out, you had something that was, in my opinion, at the time it came out, was like, this is the best shit ever. This is the best shit I've ever heard. And then fucking G-Rap would come along and just be like, what the fuck? Oh my like, God. G-Rap was, you know, I was thinking this too yesterday when I was listening to the Tougher Than Leather album. Run DMC was doing like multi-syllables back then that I didn't notice when I was a kid, like on Papa Crazy, that he ain't the finest food, he ain't the kindest dude, like finest food, kindest dude. Like I was like, what the f***? It blew my f***ing mind. I was like, I didn't even notice that. But you know, they do, man, they do all kinds. A lot of time I take 
for the rhyme I make. And I'm thinking back then as a kid, fake and make was the words that rhyme when really it was the whole phrase. The whole phrase. Those two phrases. And the thing is, their charisma and their energy was so powerful that I think, and this is a bold statement, but I don't think they actually got their dues as lyricists. Yeah. Because they were such a superstar, a whole holistic experience of just charisma and power and energy that you're right. When you listen to the way that they were inventing flows and changing things, um, it was almost overshadowed by their own energy, you know? And it was, it it, it would be like, for me, like what I would pay attention to is name is run my son. Number one for fun. Not a gun that's done and get done by none. Like all those, every almost every word rhymes. Yeah, yeah. Then Big Daddy Kane came along and said, confuse and lose, abuse and bruise the crews who choose to use my name wrong will pay dues. When he did that shit, I was like, man, I quit. I don't even want to rap anymore. (laughs) You know the moment that I realized that everything had changed was a Big Daddy Kane moment. In fact, there were two significant moments around that time for me. One was Big Daddy Kane on that album. And the other one was Rakim, Arab and Rakim for me. That moment... I was just about to say. I Ain't No Joke came out. That moment for me was like, oh, because it sounded so rough. It sounded like the mix was so disgusting. <laughs> it was just like, oh. Yeah, man. That was around that time when Rakim first came out. I remember I was at my uh, grandma Nan's house and I used to, t- we, all we really had here in Detroit was The Wizard. And The Wizard was on WJLB. The Wizard every night from like midnight to whatever time would play hip hop. And it'd all be shit that I never heard. Kumo D, go see the doctor, like all kinds of shit. So what I would do is record the radio and then wake up the next day for school and listen to what I had. And the only bad thing about that was you'd hear one verse from somebody and then another verse would come in from a totally different song, which, you know. So a lot of times it'd be like, I know this first verse by heart. But I don't know the rest of the song by heart because, you know, that's all I got. Rakim, though, the God MC. Yeah, Rakim was the the first. It's it's like the 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 not. I don't know if he's the first to do multi-syllable rhymes, but the one of the greatest things to Rakim about or about Rakim to me was he would use words that you've you've heard you've heard a, this word rhyme before, but it would it almost be like like I don't just use an example. I know he didn't say this, but like. If it was, you know, girl and world. And then all of a sudden, Rakim, you'd expect him to rhyme that. And he's rhyming plural and rural. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it was like, okay, these words haven't really been rhymed yet. And right. he was the first, like, I take seven MCs, put them in a line. And add seven more brothers who think they can rhyme. Well, it'll take seven more before I go for mine. And that's 21 MCs eight up at the same time. <laughs> easy does it, do it easy. That's what I'm doing. No fessing, no messing around. Yo, the, the inside rhyme schemes, all that shit. When I heard Lyrics of Fury, oh God, yeah. Which to me, every time I hear it, I get these uncontrollable goosebumps. Like my whole body just washes over with these goosebumps. It's only one capable breaks the unbreakable melodies, unmakeable pattern, unescapable horn. If you want the style I possess, I bless the child, the earth, the gods, and bomb the rest. Oh. Yeah, man. That's the God MC right there. Yeah, all the multi-syllables, like, and Rakim just kept getting more complicated with the sh- every every time he came out. 
And the mu- music was so sophisticated as well. Like the beats and shit was so sophisticated at the time too. And it was like he would just lay waste over these tracks that were sampling things that yeah. just felt so tasteful and so mature. Yo, Rakim had a lot of beats that would eat most MCs up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like his beats would be like, they were so dope, but he would outperform yeah. the tracks even. You know what I'm saying? Like, and most MCs would have got swallowed up by that shit. But yeah, man, like, like when people compare, like when they try to compare eras, hip hop's went through too many different transitions to really, for anyone really to be the best rapper of all time. Because rap has went through transitions. It's, it's evolved. You know, now people are doing things with flows that I'm like, I never could have seen happening. But at the same time, rappers from that era meant so much more to that era just because of, you know what I'm saying? Because there were so many innovators and there were so many, so many rappers that were like. We were lucky. We were, we were, we were, we were around to see it start to actually grow as fans. Yeah. Because that's all this is, right? Yes, you've gone on to establish yourself as one of the most influential, important, and successful rappers of all time. And I know that was the goal from day one. And congratulations, yeah. you're achieving it. But this is this is fan talk. I mean, how many times have we talked about your career, your records, your moments? And I love every single one of them. But the reason why I've been looking forward to this so much is that this is fan talk. Like, we just grew up at a moment. And it, we, it was like just... It was fate, you know, that, that our generation, we were just the lucky ones that could see it actually start to take shape. Yeah, man. I know I've been around for a minute, but I don't feel like, honestly, in my heart of hearts, I don't feel like anything I did, anything I've done up to this point is more influential than they were to their era. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that to me, like they, they I will never mean more than they meant to their era, you know? And that, man, I, I can't even, like, a lot of times people are like, when they ask you what what my, when they ask me what my top favorite rappers are, I can't, I don't even know how to answer that because there's so many rappers that have been so great and still are great. And by the way, I think Rakim probably is still great. I haven't heard anything he's working on lately, but I guarantee you he ain't lost that shit. Yeah. Because it just, that, that, that kind of shit don't go away. It just doesn't. Do you notice the lists when they come out sporadically? And it's great. It's great for fans to dive into that debate because it's it's energy and it's debate and it's good. And you're always on the list. Yeah. Do you read the list when, when it gets goes viral and it's like, all right, top 20 rappers of all time. And then the whole thing sort of becomes, it sucks the air out of the room. Do you, do you, do you sort of log on and check that stuff out when it's happening? I don't really like, like, I don't. I've, I've seen, like, I don't, I don't know if I, it's fair to say I, I don't really get into those lists. Like, I don't really, like, it doesn't really matter to me. I know for, for a fact how I feel I rap to be the best rapper, but I'm not the only rapper who raps to be the best rapper. Mm-hmm. Wayne, Cole, Kendrick, Joyner Lucas, they, they rap to be the best rapper. And I feel like that's, you know, when you push yourself like that, that's what I feel like inspires greatness. So, but the, but the list, man, it's, it's too, um, you you have to go sometimes you almost have to go by era you know tupac i feel like rappers like rakim g rap kane like tretch feral munch when karis one would drop some new sh- it just outdid whatever was before that and then along comes rakim and he outdoes that and then along comes g rap and he starts out doing everyone else Red Man, 
Redman was like, to me, one of the most consistent artists still rapping to this day is one of the most consistently dope rappers. Well, because he has a charm about him. When Redman raps, sometimes he'll make you laugh. Yeah. You know, Redman has the ability to, t- to, to paint some of those pictures that on the surface could seem too raw, too real, but he'll deliver them in a way that's almost charming. You know, So he draws you in and then yeah. tells you the realest sh- but he does it in a way that's like, I'm Redman, I'm Reggie Noble, you know? You like me. Yeah, Reggie, uh, Nas. Well, let's talk about Nas for a second because Halftime's on the list. And that's a, that's a, obviously for fans, that's on, that's on Illmatic, Five Mike Classic. Yeah. That, that's a real fan's cut as well. Like when the debut album came out, Halftime had been out. It was actually already in existence. People knew about it, but he included it on the final track listing, which is something because that track listing is what, 10 songs in 36 minutes. It's so, so reduced and so essential. Yeah. Why did you choose Halftime? And, and as someone who kind of, I guess, grew up being a fan of Nas before you were a contemporary of Nas's, what is it about him that, that you loved as a fan before you got to know him as the artist? I mean, there, there's, too many, uh, there's too many moments that he had for me to even be able to to count them. One of the reasons that I picked halftime though is because there's some rhyme schemes on there that most rappers to this day probably can't do. And that's one of the things that has made Nas so great over his career. Like like when he uh because when I blast the herb, that's my word, I'll be slaying him fast, doing this, that, and the third, but chill past the entree and let's lay a bag just up at John Jay and hit a matinee. He was rhyming entire sentence. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, Illmatic, I can't even, you know, everybody knows that that is a, a classic essential album. Yeah. I don't know where you I don't know where you place that in hip hop, but it's gotta be at the top. It's gotta be up at the top. I've been inspired by so many rappers, like that that's probably where I get it taught me different flow patterns, different schemes you could do. And then when you start finding your own that you feel like haven't been done yet, that's 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 when it becomes fun. Yeah, man, there's too many great MCs from that era that uh it's really hard to like pick somebody because it was like everyone the newest person to drop an album out of the mcs and, and there's I, I put, i'm probably forgetting a couple mcs but like they were the best until a new g rap album came out <laughs> yeah then he was the best yeah until you know and it just kind of went like a lot of times the titles to, to me best of best rapper were like they just flip-flopped all the time but someone like g rap was was so was so underrated. Like if you think about him in the grand scheme, rappers, real rappers know and credit him. But like wanted dead or alive, the beats on that album and and the stories he would tell and even just the way he would yeah. tell them, they were like movies. It's like he was um he was the protagonist in a Scorsese film, but rapping these stories over beats. You know, they were, it was so vivid. You know, when you when you get like in in the super like nerdy sh- like, I always wonder why, let me see, what was it? Uh, Master Ace, okay, there's there's another rapper. Mm-hmm. He's got to be put up there with the greats. He made Music Man. He made so many fucking dope. There's one, one, one song on Live and Let Die, I think, that Molly Ma used the same beat. And I always wondered why they had this, yeah, they had the same beat. 
Here it comes. You know what I was really happy to see on here, which made me laugh. I had to have a chuckle. M is uh, Heavy D. I mean, Heavy D shows up a few times on this. You know, a great gentleman in hip hop, a great gentleman in hip hop. But don't curse. I mean, what the? F <laughs> you put don't curse on your playlist? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you didn't take that advice. I mean, it never it never landed with you. The actual theme of that song. <laughs> I mean that I, that's one another one of the things that make it so great. I mean that one that I say I the reason I picked Heavy D too on a couple of these songs is because sometimes I got to go back to and 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 remember like how great some rappers were, right? Heavy D, RIP to Heavy D, man. Mm. I had nothing but the utmost respect for that dude and he was one of the most underrated rappers to me because he was like a chameleon cuz he could get on a song with Tretch and keep up you know what i'm saying he could like he had commercial hits and then he could go yeah like he ready for them but they're not ready for me that's man like yeah heavy d was a chameleon yeah and he was widely regarded as a gentleman in the game i mean he was somebody who who had a lot of respect from other artists and kind of i always had this feeling when heavy d was around that he was showing people a little bit of how to run their business a little bit of how to how to grow in this business and carry yourself in a way that wasn't just chasing down the next hot record. You know, he seemed bigger than that to me. Yeah. Like, like I even heavy D had the kind of heavy D was like biggie to me. Like he had the kind of commercial hits that no matter how much you heard him, you never really got tired of him. Well, he leaned into the, in, into the new Jack swing scene as well for a while. And that was like a big thing for him when it was like, yeah, yep. He was like, he would navigate that yeah. whole tempo change when people, he would make records for the dance floor. And that was the difference. Like that was when hip hop was like, oh, okay. Rap music was starting to appeal to DJs and to dance floors and people would be really dancing, you know, Scoob and Scrap, you know, that would roll with Big Daddy Kane and uh, Trouble T-Roy that would be with Heavy D and the whole thing, you know, it felt like you would have dancers, right? Did, were you ever a dancer? Did you ever have dancers? Like when you were doing your thing? Did that ever factor into what you were trying to build when you were a young artist? I don't know. I, I know that I did I did break dance a little bit and I wasn't really good at it, but I started to get like decent at it. Yeah. It wasn't the same as holding a microphone. You know what I'm saying? Like, but the funny thing is it seemed like dancers are coming back. Like I've I've seen a lot of rappers lately have dancers. <laughs> I probably won't. You can't see some interpretive dance to Stan, you know, just some kind of like. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would work out, <laughs> but uh, that should actually be hilarious. <laughs> that shit would be hilarious. Pete Davidson did a good job, man. You, you got to hand it to him. Oh, he, yeah. He flipped that. Yeah, man. Yeah. I remember they, they, they sent me the lyrics to it and I was reading them on paper and I was like, oh, I don't know if this is going to be that good. <laughs> and then the weight when he said it. Yeah. Like, I was like, holy, sh like, he said it so good that he sold every single thing. And you can't, you can't, first of all, everybody's raps look terrible on paper, <laughs> right? Because you don't necessarily know, unless you're a rapper yourself, you don't necessarily know where, even if you are, yeah. you don't know where they're going to hit the beat at, yeah, what yeah. pocket they're going to choose. Yeah. And he was in an ill pocket. Like, he, he was like, he was kind of going, like, and he'd go a little faster and then he kind of slow down. So you could catch what he just said the first time you hear it. I love that you were looking at it through your fingers just like the rest of us were, because it's like that song is is it's become this iconic moment for you. But it's it's like millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people love that song. And so when you're going to bring it into a comedy environment, it's such a powerful story. You're like, oh, no, just Pete, no, what are you doing? But he kept your intensity. That's the thing. 
Yeah, he he his delivery was for sure really on point because it, it was not what I expected when I saw it. I was like, man, this is this is actually really good. The whole thing was great. Dope, Stu. It's way too much dope shit. Like, I don't know if you can see all these titles and shit. But- close your eyes and pull one. Just close your eyes and pull one. Let's just let's just let's just do a random one. Okay. Right. Tell us a story about what do you got? What's in your hand? Dead upside down. Oh yeah, MC Shan. Was that a hard one to get? I feel like that might have been an easy one to get because that's such a huge moment for New York at that time. Yeah, that was that was definitely yeah, it was definitely one of the more uh, easier ones to get. There's there's a couple that I still can't to this day. Audio two. Yeah. Actually, I I I did find one. I got an audio two. Uh, the what more can I say? The first the first album. Yep. I have an unopened and an open one, but it took me about three years to find it. Like sometimes you got to just hope that I think a lot of these tapes where they come from probably is having them in stock back then. And then if they don't sell, they probably just end up in a box somewhere and someone just takes them home. There was a great story. A friend of mine had that when profile records went down, someone gave him a call and just said, Hey man, there's just like thousands of profile record vinyl in this warehouse. Do you want to come in and make an offer on this profile records, this whole entire collection? He just walked out with just like every single copy of anything ever made on profile records because the warehouse and manufacture them just went out of business. Yeah, that's crazy. And there's, you know, there's always going to be the, the value of that shit is just going to keep going up because it might not mean much to you, but to someone else, it's going to mean so much more that they would pay that much money to have it. You know, I've got to Illmatic cost me $500. $500. Wow. For an unopened Illmatic. Yeah. Wow. Kind of, I'm kind of stoked though. And I, I, hope, uh, yo, I'm not going to lie. I opened that bitch. He <laughs> <laughs> just devalued the shit of it. <laughs> but whatever, it's not even about that. Sometimes I will sit here and play. If I'm fucking bored, I'll, I'll play some, some tapes and just sit here and look at this. Do you still manufacture yours on cassette? Do you still put your records out on cassette? I can't recall. Yeah, we do. Sometimes we have like a limited edition kind of thing. That's cool. I think everything up to Kamikaze. I don't know if we have music to be murdered by yet. Talk about one album that just changed everything, but it just was one album. Could we get the punk? Because if the cops shooting brothers is like playing baseball and they're never in a slump. That, okay. Wow. Before you even get to Large P- Professor, who just crushed every one of those tracks, and that song in particular was very, very important at the time and remains important. to the, That's a song you could listen to today, and sadly, it's it's the sentiment remains the same. But, you know, the beats on that record, I just remember, like, it, it, to me, production-wise, hearing them lean into those grooves, it was the same time as Tribe. And I just felt like record stores were getting rinsed. There was a small group of yeah. producers and, and, and fanatics out there that were going into these, these bins, going to 72 to 74, year on the back, didn't matter what it was, and just rinsing them. And no one had done that before. It was like the first time anyone was sampling all of that stuff, you know? Yeah, man. Large Professor, that's, that's one of the most underrated MCs of all time to me. Because, man, that first album, that's a classic. To me, that's right there with the brand Nubian, with the Illmatic. Totally. Like, Breaking Adams is timeless. You could put that on now. It sounds as good. In fact, I did. In fact, I bought it on vinyl. I bought that on vinyl four weeks ago and um, put it on. And it was just start to finish. It's flawless victory. That's Yeah, man. That's, that's one of those albums that... Uh, a classic album to me is an album that you can play straight through. I I think that's probably would be my definition. One of the things that would factor in. 
But yeah, man, that was a play straight through album. Every song was dope. You got the the beginning of Nas right there, live at the barbecue. Like he said, when I was twelve, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. That line changed the whole. It was that, but that was the line that t- that that set the whole thing up. I, I remember reading the press. It was like the source, and maybe one other thing you could get information on Rat Records back then, and we would import it into New Zealand. It would take weeks to come. And I remember them like reviewing that song and just they couldn't get their head around that lyric. That was like, oh my God, that lyric. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And it's weird because you set the bar even higher. I mean, it's funny. It's like it's like you heard that line and decided <laughs> that's gonna be my architecture from, from here on out. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, at first I was like, yo, this is like it, it was like it was almost like it was almost like Nas was doing acid rap. Like it was very anti. I don't know, I don't know, anti, I don't know. It was very... Uh, it was antagonistic. It was Racy an- for that time. Yeah, it was antagonistic. Yeah. It was like, whoa, <clears throat> what did you just say about one of the most important religious figures in the history of humanity? <laughs> yeah, man. I move swift and uplift your mind. Shoot the gift when I rip and rhyme. He's doing it there. Yeah. Whole sentence is rhyming. Who were the defining defining voices for you that opened that door in your cerebellum in your mind that you felt allowed you to not have any breaks when it came to what you wrote because when you came out it was like wow this guy has no breaks he'll say anything and everything that comes to his mind that he feels is dope but there must have been people before you that that encouraged you to do that right ghetto boys i definitely i I definitely feel like i took a page from their book and i also think i took a page from i mean obviously the dre affiliation but with nwa because like like to me, like hip hop, especially in, in those early stages was like when Ice T came, like when I had listened to Ryan Pace, he was cussing on it. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do this. <laughs> you yeah. know what I'm saying? And yeah. then, and then Schooly D. Oh my God. That's wicked. Schooly D came out and it was like, what the, f-? like Ooh. he was raunchy, right? He was, he was cussing. But then when NWA came out, it was F- your mother you can shut the fuck up. Can he fuck shit, eat shit and die? Fuck you. And then you get to the interludes. <laughs> Ice Cube. I don't talk about Ice Cube enough, man. Like I said, it's just hard to remember because there's so many Let's great go. rappers. Let's talk about Ice Cube. Bro, cutting edge. Cutting edge. When I heard Gangster Gangster, I was like, what the fuck? Like that shit was like, like I, like I said, I didn't even know you could, I didn't know you were allowed to swear that much. He also had one of the best deliveries like the way he said his i'm trying to think like like to 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 me like when i think about deliveries i I feel like chuck d Mm. there's a lot of rappers have 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 great deliveries but yeah like uh but like chuck d to me was like chuck d and brother j from x clan oh yeah had the most the best deliveries like ever like Stomping, walking in my big black boots. Like, man, that shit was like living off the earth, eating trees and fruits. Like, man, that uh, another rapper right there, I feel like is very underrated. He'd almost make everything sound like this. Like it's a dude. Yeah, so commanding. Yeah. Commanding. That's what I'm looking for, the word. Like a commanding voice. Like Chuck D, when he said one word, you you listen. DMC, like the the commanding deeper basier voices i guess you would say that wall behind you right that's like a 
that's an exercise of manifestation. Like every one of those cassettes that you wanted to own, that you knew you already loved, but you didn't have the money to own them. That just continued to feed your ambition and your desire to, to make your voice heard, right? To, to add value, yeah. to be a part of it, to be a part of it. And then you go through that list and you've met a lot of people on that wall. Now that we're in fan mode, and it's just you and me talking as fans of music, do you have moments where it just privately it just blows your mind? Like I know how proud you are of that Alec Cool J poster. It just blows your mind that, that you've met so many people on that wall of tapes behind you that you were just a fan of, you know? Yeah, I mean, LL, like, I met him at a Foot Locker <laughs> when I was, uh, yeah, when I was doing my my shopping for the first, for the album cover, for the first album cover, the Slim Shady LP. And he was just standing in there by himself, right? And he walks up to uh, this woman that uh, worked for Dre at the time, and they knew each other. So they were like, hey, what up? And I'm, I'm standing, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm like, how do I not, like, how do I not play myself in front of one of my favorite rappers of all time? How do I, I got to figure this out. And he quoted one of my lyrics to, I forgot what song it was. Oh, he said, how can I be white? I don't even exist. Wow. And I was like, what the f So Dre had played him that shit. But I just like, it blew my f mind. Like, that was the, actually, I think Tretch is actually the first rapper that I ever met, like famous rapper in person. And he's one of your absolute favorites, right? Like he's like, I know he's in the top three for you. Oh, he's up there. He's definitely, he, he, yeah, he has to be up there. Like he, he, he taught me so many things like different flow patterns and shit. man, he, he was so unorthodox with the flow and always had the punchlines. I, what do you say? I heard your tape and flip the next side, looking for the deaf side. You couldn't be all right if I erased your left side. <laughs> like he had the punchline, man. So, so I'm in Vegas. I'm in Vegas at this time, and hadn't like nothing was popping with me and Dre yet. We actually went out there because the Slim Shady EP. We had some a dude who wanted to buy three thousand of them. So we were like, "What the? Fuck? Let's go out to Vegas." <laughs> we end up in this flea market. There's people selling clothes and shit like that. There's a Naughty by Nature booth and Tretch is standing there. Tretch, standing there selling his own shit. I'm like, what the f So I, I walked up to him. I was nobody. You know what I'm saying? Asked him if I could get a picture. Told him what a fan I was. I bet you he probably don't even remember that. But I think I was in that yellow jumpsuit where I looked like a in banana <laughs> that Dre always... <laughs> that Dre always makes fun of, but... I, it was a clothing company that was just starting out and they knew I was just starting out and they gave me an outfit. They gave me a sweatsuit. Man, I wore that bitch six out of seven days. You, gotta, you learned a valuable lesson that day. You got to watch those endorsements. They'll get you. Yeah, man. <laughs> but uh, no, nah, he was just so cool. Like he was just so cool to me. And it just, I always remember that. Like, man, I wonder, I, I can't even remember what I said to him because I was just super nervous and, and just took the picture. But I don't know if I got a chance to tell him what a fan I was or am still. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't know if that, if I don't remember what I said to him. Probably was some dumb shit. <laughs> I say a lot of dumb shit to, to other famous rappers. And I'm like, what the f Why did I say that? Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's do one more. Uh, let me see. Big L. Oh, wow. Big L, man. Yeah. 
gosh. And incredible. Unbelievable. He was one of the innovators, too, of like of uh, like punchlines. Mad Skills. Got Mad Skills. You remember him? Absolutely. Mad Skills had the punchlines. I hate saying had because I don't know like if they still rap or not. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. That's yeah, because a lot of these guys might just have not put out an album lately. You know what I'm saying? And, and it might be just off my radar. I like that first Apache album. Remember that Apache album? This one? Oh! And the single I found. Oh, Same guy selling it. God. Unopened. I opened them, though. <laughs> You got a problem. You got to, you have the, you have the worst discipline for a collector ever. <laughs> I know, right? So Apache, I don't know if you remember the song with uh, Lakem Shabazz. That's yes. another underrated MC. Yeah. Lakem Shabazz. So one motherfucking two motherfucking three. Yeah. He, yeah. Apache was like, tell me, is this some type of tournament? I'll cut your fucking head off and use it as a crispy tree on the mix. Come and give me your test to whoever claims to be the best. These with a 40 below footprint on their chest. Like him, Shabazz, uh, Apache, and then Tretch comes in at the end and kills it, man. That Flavor Unit were the truth, man. They had so much talent in their ranks at that moment of time. They ran the game. Latifah had just assembled this Voltron, this Avengers of rappers. It was crazy. Yeah, man. Latifah, Latifah was one of the first, like, beast. to me. A beast on the mic. I don't say, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, I, that would probably describe it. Back then, it was, it was not that many females that rapped. Salt and Pepper was great. Roxanne Shante, we have that here. I probably have pretty much every tape you could think of. Too many, too many dope ones. Yo, Tony D. Tony oh D. Oh my God, Tony D. Poor Righteous Teachers. Yeah, Tony D. You know what always confuses me? They're underrated. Poor Righteous Teachers is supremely underrated. I never understood the beef between Wise Intelligent and YZ. And I loved them both. Yeah, I loved them both. And I always wondered, how did Tony D do that? Because he did the beats for both of them. Yeah. Here's another one. Yeah. Now, third base. Yes, please. Like, to me, yep. this is one of the most classic albums 100%. in the history of hip-hop. I saw an interview with MC Search recently where he was saying, somebody asked him, I can't remember, even remember where I saw it, and somebody asked him about, if he thinks he influenced me and he was like, nah, no, you know, I like whatever, like that's bullshit. And that is bullshit because he did influence me very heavy. But third base, I, I was very inspired by third base. And it wasn't even just the fact that it was two white MCs, yeah. the, the music and the way they rapped for that time period was fucking cutting edge. When, when, when search was like, the light goes up, my mic blows up, the silence is now set like like he was doing those in between. You ain't my knucker, sucker, I'm snuffing. That kind of shit. I paid attention to. Like that album, those two albums taught me a lot, man. They taught me a lot. And then I hated the fact that they broke up. Yeah, me too. I hated it. And you could tell in Derek's dialogue like they were falling apart. And the whole thing was really awkward and ugly. And it was a shame because they they were this like they were they were unique, regardless, as you say, of of their skin tone or any of that stuff. They were their music they made remains uniquely unique, and this is a really be beautiful full circle moment here. As we say goodbye, dude, I fucking love this conversation. Thank you for the time and for the energy and the music talk, man. I've loved it. Absolutely. But but this is full circle, M, because and talk about people not remembering things. You won't remember this. The first time we met, 
you were on a UK promo tour for My Name Is, just the song at the time, no album. And you came in with Paul yeah. and Mark and we had a conversation yeah. and I didn't really know anything about you at the time, but I knew that I loved the song. So all I had to go on was like your influences. There wasn't enough of a story that was being laid out for me. And we talked about Third Base and it was the only band that you really lit up when I talked about like, oh, what about Third Base? And I was really nervous to bring it up because of the skin tone and like, oh, no, he's going to be like, great. You're making another comparison to a white rap group. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, dude. Do your research. But you lit up and you were, and you were super good about them then. You were like, I love Third Base. That's crazy that we're finishing this conversation with that. Yeah, man. They, uh, they, you know, MC Search, like I said, like, like I saw that interview and I was like, oh, come on, Search, you gotta know you inspired me. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, Search and Pete Nice, man, I, I wish that they would have stayed together. I wish they, they would have made more albums. I wish there wasn't the tension between the two of them and it wasn't like that, but I'm not the one to, you know, ain't my call. So, you don't have that problem, man. Yours is a solo, a solo mission. Hey, Whatever comes next, man, I'm excited for it. I hope our paths cross then. But in the meantime, man, I really appreciate you, bro. As always, great to connect with you again. It's been too long. Absolutely, bro. Thanks, man. Take care. Yeah, that could have gone on for a lot longer. And maybe it will. Maybe we'll do another round at some point. But in the meantime, there it is. My latest conversation with Eminem. Add a rating, add a comment. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the interview series. And I know that you're not supposed to be time specific with these things. But happy holidays. Be safe. Be well. Catch you in 2021.